So, uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. <clears throat> uh, today we're going to begin with, um, I think it's verse, let's see, 42. We're going to begin with the first canto, chapter 7, verse 42. So, um, <clears throat> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So Tathahartam Pashuvat Pashavadham Vanukam Karma Jugupsitena Nidiksha Krishna Pakritam Guru Sutam Vamatsavava Kapayana Namacham. So Prabhupada's translation is Sri Sutta Goswami said, Draupadi then saw Ashwatthama, who was bound with ropes like an animal and silent for having enacted the most inglorious murder due to her female nature. And uh, due to her naturally good and well, due to her being naturally good and well behaved, she showed him due respects as a Brahmin. So let's look at the Sanskrit. Uh, tata, thus, Ahritam brought Pashuvat, like an animal, Pashavadham, bound with ropes, Avanmukam, his head down, Karma Jagupsitena, because of the uh, atrocity he had committed because of the atrocity he had committed imagine he killed these five young men and now he's being brought before their mother bound up like an animal with ropes Nidiksha so looking at him Krishna Draupadi uh, Aparhitam Aparhitam Prabhupada says the doer of the degrading it also means Aparhitam that he'd been dragged there in that way, even brought there in that way. Guru Sutam, her guru's or their guru's son. Vama Subhava uh, actually here means because of her noble nature. It is not specifically mentioned here in the Sanskrit that uh, because of a female nature, it simply says because of her noble nature. Kripaya, out of or out of mercy, uh, Nanama, she bowed. So this is an astonishing scene where Ashwatthama has murdered all of Draupadi's sons, her five sons, and now he comes before her and she bows. Although, and she's not, because they are steeped in this culture, they are absorbed, they're very much immersed in this Vedic culture where with the death of Drona, uh, Ashwatthama now takes the place of his father. So in a sense, he stands in in a position of guru. And so we can imagine for someone, I mean, you can, we can exercise a bit of empathy here. Imagine if you were very devoted to a guru and then the guru's son did this and and not only that is not merely the guru's son they had 
grown up together because Dronacharya was the Pandava's um, military guru. And so his son, of course, was always there. His son was, you know, about the same age as, as let's say, Arjuna. And so they, they grew up together. Since some childhood, they grew up together and he was always the guru's son. And, and now he's brought before them. And Draupadi is, um, there's just all these powerful emotions. And also another thing, the word Nanama, uh, she bowed, doesn't mean uh, necessarily that she got on the ground and offered obeisances as is done in India and, and in ISKCON. Uh, the word Nanama simply means to bow. It can mean like a European bow. And also uh, even the word obeisance actually, uh, I. I the word obeisance means a gesture expressing deferential respect, such as a bow or curtsy. So obeisance, the word itself does not mean to get on the ground and bow. It simply means a gesture like that. That can, that, that can be with the word and that's The word nanama means to bow. Uh, sometimes it's said in the Bhagavatam that someone bowed um, touching the head, touching their head to the ground, then we know it's full, it's a full bow, like the whole body, but otherwise it may mean, it doesn't mean that Draupadi got on the ground, it can simply mean that when Ashwatthama was brought before her, she simply showed, made a gesture of respect. So the next verse is, Uvacha cha sahantyasya Pandana Nayanang Sati Muchatam Muchatam Isha Brahmano Nitaram Guru. So uh, she said, Prabhupada said, because Asahanti, it was after all this violence in the Battle of Kurukshetra and most of the people they knew being killed. I mean, you can imagine their state of mind. Plus, we have to remember that Draupadi is a pure devotee. Draupadi is consciously taking part in Krishna Leela. She is a personal associate of God, of Krishna. So these are not at all ordinary people. These are not at all ordinary people. Draupadi is on such an exalted platform that she's a very close associate of Krishna. So these are very different souls than then, of course, we had we associate with travel, but the, the, these are very, very, very exalted souls who respond in different ways because they're seeing things very differently than we would. So it's a Draupadi Asahanti, not being unable to tolerate the scene of uh, her guru's son now being bound and brought there like that. And she's called Sati, a very saintly lady. She's seen the soul, not the body. Obviously, to be an intimate associate of Krishna, uh, you're not going to be in the bodily concept of life. I think that's a fair assumption. So here's Draupadi, this exalted, liberated soul, seeing the soul and everyone else. And she says, Muchatam, which literally means release him, release him. Muchatam, Muchatam, Asha. It's from the same word as uh, the root. From, uh, 
as the word, for example, mukti, liberation, or moksha. This is the passive imperative. Muchatam, uh, let him be released. Let him be released. Brahmano, he's a Brahman, Nitarang, and especially our guru, because this is by Dharma, by law. Of course, obviously, Ashutama was highly unqualified. But it takes a while when you have lifetime relationships. You know, we can look at it now with all the detachment that 5,000 years provides us. And we can say, no, you know, that's not a proper response. But we have to remember these people are living it in real time. And even in terms of the human nervous system, it, it, it takes a while to adjust to all these horrible things and heavy things, powerful things happening. It's, um, it's, it's not easy to be in the middle of all this. And of course, these are pure devotees that makes a big difference. But from a human perspective, it's, it's not at all easy just to deal with all these powerful, traumatic events all happening at once. So um, then she says, Draupadi says about him, Sadahasyo Dhanurveda Savisargo Pasangyamaha Astragramas Chabhavata Sikshito Jadanugrahat. She's saying to Arjun that Shikshito, you were taught Jadanugrahat by the mercy of Drona, uh, Astragramas, the full range of weapons, missiles actually, uh, how to release them, Bisarga, releasing the weapons, Upasangyama, controlling them, which Ashwatthama didn't know in the case of the Brahmastra. Uh, with all the, and sa rahasya, sa means with, sa rahasya, with the confidential knowledge. In other words, they learned, it's just like in, in, the, in the military of any country, certain weapons are top secret, and uh, they're only, only certain people. For example, a very limited number of people are given, let's say, uh, access to nuclear weapons. So there are certain weapons that not everyone uh, has access to. And so Drona did teach those weapons to the Pandavas. So, um, so Draupadi uh, is reminding the Pandavas of all the benefits they got. Yes, this Ashwatthama did the most horrible deed but his father, and, his, and he's standing now in his father's place, not very efficiently, but still is the one who, Drona is the one who gave you all the weapons you needed to emerge victorious in the battle. So the reason you are all still alive, of course, ultimately because of Krishna, but from the point of view of worldly history, the Pandavas are still alive because of all the military uh, arts and weapons taught to them by Drona, who's now standing before them in the form of his son. So in that, within the context of this culture, this Vedic culture, it's a complicated situation, but uh, not for BMS, we'll see. Anyway, Draupadi continues speaking, Saisha Bhagavan Drona, he himself, Saisha, 
speaking of Ashwatthama, he himself is Lord Drona. Prajarupena Vartate, he himself, uh, Vartate is, or is existing as, Prajarupena in the form of the offspring. Saisha Bhagavan Drona, Prajarupena Vartate, so he himself is now existing as Lord Drona, Bhagavan Drona, Prajarupena in the form of, of his offspring. Tasyat Manar Dhampatnyaste Nanbhagad Bidasu Kripi. And Drona's wife is still there. In other words, if his parents were not alive, then it might be different. But what about his mother? Uh, and, and it's very interesting because here the wife, you know, we hear so much, well, negative, so many negative things about women. But here, and this is, I think, very important. Here, the wife is called Atmanardham, half of his soul, really, or half of him, half of his self. So she's not called 30% or 29% or 7%. Ardham means half. Uh, so the wife... I mean, that's a, it's, it sounds to me that's a very uh, important, respectable position. Half. So it, it even indicates a certain equality between husband and wife. Certainly uh, equality in the sense of um, mutual respect and mutual dignity and uh, seeing each other's souls. But that's what it says here. Putney, his wife, is half of him, half of his soul, which, of course, is figurative. And uh, because Kripi, his wife, Nanvaga, did not undergo uh, I'm trying to see where the word is. Nanvaga beat us Kripi. She didn't follow him. Anu. Anu means Anu Gam. So this Anvagat means that she did not follow him because uh, she had given birth to a Vira. It's interesting, Vira Su. Su means she begot. So even though Ashwatthama technically was a Brahmana, uh, here Draupadi doesn't call him a Brahmana, she calls him a Vira, which means a warrior or a hero. Vira Su. So she gave birth to this warrior son, and therefore she did not follow her husband. So Kripi, the argument here, Draupadi is saying that Kripi, who's a very respectable lady and faultless, Kripi, it's not creepy or Kripi, it's, it's Kripi. Anyway, she renounced the chance of going with her husband to the next world because in the Sati rite, which is not really at all meant for this age, um, the wife would actually go with the husband. And so she renounced that. She renounced having another life with her husband just so that she could raise their son or take care of their son. And uh, of course, their son was already raised. He was already an adult because Jonah didn't die until the battle of Kurukshetra. But still, she stayed in this world. Of course, Kripi never imagined her son would do this horrible, disgusting act. She couldn't imagine that, but she did stay in this world. And once you do that, 
it's it's clear, I think, from the context and from other descriptions of the Mahabharata, it's sort of like you know, you get one chance. If the husband dies and the wife wants to go with him, she has to go at the time of his funeral. You can't go later. You can't say, well, I'll go in a week or something. And so she renounced that just so that she could be with her son. So if the son is now killed, then she's in a very unhappy situation. That's what Draupadi is saying. Tadharma gya mahabhaga bhavadvir godavam kulam vrjinam narhati praptum pujam vandyam abhichnashaha um, Tad, therefore, Dharma Gya, speaking to Arjuna, O knower of Dharma. So Jodhi says, you know Dharma, Mahavaga. It's interesting because um, she's addressing Arjuna with this extremely respectful language, of course. And this is interesting itself. Um, she's, of course, Arjuna's wife. And Normally, if you look at the Mahabharata, this is not the way, normally Draupadi, this is not the way she spoke to her husband with this sort of formal language. But she's using formal language here in addressing Arjuna because uh, she's really speaking to him as an advanced Vaishnav. She's not saying, you're my husband, you should do this. She's, no, she's seeing him as a Mahabhagavata. She's seen him as a great soul. And beyond their marital relationship, you can say, she's addressing him as an advanced Vaishnava. So, Taddharma Gya Mahabhaga, therefore, you who know Dharma and who are a great soul, Bhavadvir Godavam Kulam Brajinam Narhati Praptum. This family, this family, so she's not talking just about Ashwatthama, and that's important to understand. Um, Draupadi is not a sentimental woman here. She's a great soul. And, I mean, she is, she is a woman, appearing as a woman, and she is, and she does have these tender sentiments, but uh, not foolishly sentimental. She's thinking about their family. She's not just thinking about him. If he wasn't, if it wasn't for his family, the honor of her guru's family and 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 the guru's wife, for Draupadi, for the Pandavas, Kripi, uh is um, Kripi is. Uh, a very most respectful person, the wife of their guru. So she's thinking of the family. And she says the family doesn't deserve to have to suffer all this trouble. The family doesn't deserve it. Because she says the family is to be honored, to be respected always. So she's, she's thinking of the family, for the family's sake. So it, it's interesting to, to look closely at what Draupadi is saying. 
And she says, Ma rodid asya janani. The translation says, do not make the wife of Dronacharya cry like me. I mean, in the Sanskrit, literally it says, uh, let her not cry. Let his mother not weep in this way, not cry. Let her not cry. Asijanani means his mother, Godami, that's her name. But the Devata, who honored her husband as a lord, she offered all honor and respect to her husband. So she was a highly cultured, exalted woman. And if you kill him, you're going to give her all kinds of suffering and pain. So again, Draupadi's thinking of, because she understands it. She obviously understands what it means to lose children. Maro janani gotami kripi pati devata, who honored her husband like a lord, yataham as I, as I, mrita batsarata, am grieving and suffering because of a dead child. And uh, child, the word for child here is vatsa, which literally means a calf. Again, because in this Vedic culture, you know, cows were prominent. And so a word for vatsa, like my, like a dear child, as you say, you know, my calf, mrita vatsa. And uh, it's very interesting because that kind of affection that a cow has for a calf, because the calf is vatsa, is called vatsalya. And uh, that it becomes Vatsalya Rasa, you know, a, a loving relationship where you see Krishna as your child. So it's from the word Vatsa. Also interesting because cows basically can have one, have one calf per year. So Vatsara, a calving, is uh, is also a word for year. Vatsara. Anyway. So Rodim Yashunu Kimuhu, because I am crying constantly with tears in my eyes. Rodim Yashunu Kimuhu. So she used the same word to cry, Rodimi. I am crying, so don't make her cry. Ma Rodid. Don't make, not don't make her cry, actually, let her not cry. Let her not cry as I'm crying constantly for my dead child. So the Draupadi, she's still speaking. Jaikopitang Brahmakulam, Rajanyar Ajitantma Vi, Takulam Pradatyashu, Sanu Vandang Sucharpitam. So there's another argument she's giving. She's saying that Jaikopitang. Uh, so uh, those Rajanyar, those members of the Kshatriya order, the, the royal order, who enrage the Brahma community, the Brahmana community, those members of the royal order, Ajitatma B, who cannot control themselves, cannot control their rage, those royal members of the royal community that cannot control their rage and thus enrage the Brahman community, uh, then those brahmanas 
Tatkulam Pradantyashu, those brahmanas will burn up that royal community. So here, different communities are called kulas. Kula can be family, it can be community, guru kula, the guru's community. So there's the Brahma kula, the Brahman community, and there's the Kshatriya community. So if the Kshatriya community, if the warrior community enrages the Brahman community, the Brahman community will quickly burn up the royal community. Sanubandam with all their uh, relatives, not the women, you know, all their, uh, and Sucharapitam. Uh, and, and they'll be put into, uh, put into grief. So Draupadi is warning that, that because if, if you kill a member of the Brahman community, you may trigger a reaction from other Brahmins. They may feel that, yes, Ashwatthama is despicable, but still it's a very bad precedent to kill a Brahman. Because in this case, let's say you're doing it fairly, but in the future, this, this precedent, this example recited, the great Pandavas, pure devotees of Krishna, killed a Brahman, which means that if Brahmins misbehave, it's okay to kill them. And in the future, who knows how kings will stretch this, um, this permission. In the future, you know, Kings may say, well, you didn't kill, you know, my children, but you did something else real bad. And we know it's bona fide. It's legitimate when Brahmins do very bad things to kill them. And in my opinion, you did a very bad thing. So therefore you can, you can envision, you can see a precedent in which, uh, so in which the, or a scenario you can see a scenario in which, and this is what Draupadi is bringing up, that if you kill him just in order to, to maintain the rule that Kshatriyas don't kill Brahmins, the Brahmins may react against you and then you're, you're really gonna have problems. So that's another, it's a, it's a serious argument actually. So uh, we'll stop there actually. Next week we'll do text uh, 1749. Let's see if there's any questions now. Uh, here's some questions. Draupadi was a pure soul, so she behaved with perfect Vaishnav etiquette. How can we, plain souls in this material world, follow her steps and behave towards people who hurt others so much, like child abuse, without making the victim and society in general feel like we are pro-child abuse, yeah, but with enough respect towards the soul who abused others, even if the abuser, abusers have not taken full responsibility for their actions, like someone looking for fame and recognition. Um, okay, first of all, our situation, it's a good question. Our situation is very different because uh, we're not the government. That's a big difference. Back then, uh, at the time of the Pandavas and Krishna, 5,000, approximately 5,000 years ago, um, they were the government. They were the government. And so in ISKCON, and this is also the policy of the uh, 
Child Protection Office. Um, if we become aware of abuse committed within our community, we have to report it to the government and then you know things proceed according to laws. As far as what our attitude should be, um, Krishna says, Apiche Sudurachara, even if one has behaved very badly, uh, which probably translates as even one commits the most abominable activity, literally, even if one behaves very badly. So, this is a controversial point, of course, uh, because some devotees feel that, you know, these things should not be forgiven or that people should be shunned for the rest of their lives. It is a very delicate issue because of the very strong feelings involved and because of the evil of child abuse. So, uh, clearly we, we should not do anything which minimizes the abuse or in a, in a way that, that, uh, that leads people to think that it's not such a bad thing. I mean, obviously, that is not at all what we want. So we have to somehow put together all these needs, all these instructions from Krishna and the law and, and come up with an appropriate response. So the same way Draupadi asked to release Ashwatthama, should we forgive devotees that have harmed others and simply lose faith in the institution by the lack the lack of justice. Uh, again, technically, I mean, well, not technically. In one sense, we have no power to impose justice in one sense because we are not the law, we're not the government, we're not the police, we're not the court. In terms of, I mean, the, the sense in which we do have justice in our hands, of course, is that if someone does something very bad, what is their status among devotees? Should devotees shun that person? Just completely reject that person so that no one speaks to that person, no one shows that person any mercy. Is that Vaishnava culture? It, 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 it's a delicate balance because some people say, okay, if someone did something very bad and then you befriend that person or try to encourage them in their Krishna consciousness, then you're minimizing the seriousness of what they did. On the other hand, Krishna says, if someone is rightly situated, even if they did something really terrible, but they come back to Krishna, you actually have to see that person as a sadhu. And Prabhupada even says in his purport that if you don't see that person as a sadhu, Krishna will punish you if the person has actually rectified themselves. So, uh, people have different psychologies. And so we see in ISKCON that because ISKCON is basically made up of humans, I mean, there's a few non-human members of ISKCON such as devotee pets and everything, but the overwhelming majority of ISKCON members are human beings and human beings very predictably have different psychologies. And this is even neurological, of course, anyway, from our point of view, it, it is our choices karmically which determine the kind of neurology we're born with. But still we know in any human society, there's gonna be a you know, statistical breakdown. You get some people who will never forgive, some people that want to forgive, 
people in the middle that are kind of confused, not sure exactly what to do. So my experience is in ISCON, we get the typical, the typical distribution of psychological types. And uh, so it's, it's not an easy situation to find the right balance where we obey Krishna and respect those who have rectified even terrible misdeeds, and yet not in a way that seems to minimize the gravity of what they've done, and even so that so that we are weakening, you could say weakening the deterrence, uh, deterrent effect, where if if people like that are really rejected by the devotees, then that becomes a deterrent. It may become a deterrent, of course, for bad behavior, or simply maybe it may encourage secrecy. But 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 whatever it is, uh, you know, we do have to find the balance between we can't become so determined to make an example of this person, no matter how they may rectify themselves, no matter what their present attitude is, that person should be absolutely rejected by the Vaishnava community. Then what do you do with Krishna's statement? Do we just are we now more intelligent than Krishna or more righteous than Krishna? And so it's, I think it's a question of finding the right balance in each situation. So if someone loses faith in the institution because we see people as souls and we notice if someone is sincerely sorry and rectifies himself and we somehow take that seriously, In you know, there's, there, there's a balance, there's justice and there's mercy. Of course, some people say no mercy, just justice. And some people say no justice, just mercy. So you get people on these two extremes. It seems that a healthy society has justice, but also appropriately exercises mercy. And so to say only justice, no mercy, or only mercy, no justice, I don't think you can really sustain a society that way. So uh, let's see, I have to translate this from Spanish with respect to the point that, that you covered about obeisances that Dropani offered. Uh, we hear in our society that Prabhupada said that if you don't offer full obeisances to a sannyasi, uh, you should fast or uh, go to hell. Wow. Uh, that isn't that a little, isn't that declaration a little extreme? Uh, often or many times due to the situation, it's possible that uh, we can, all we can do is sort of join our hands in a sign of sincere respect to a sannyasi. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, obviously we can't, especially in the Western world, we can't just go around in public throwing ourselves on the ground. What a sannyasi, I mean, that's my personal opinion. I think it's uh, the, uh... so as far as Prabhupada saying, we have to offer full obeisances. Um, you know, ISKCON has its customs, and those are details, like whether you, and that's what Prabhupada taught. So if we're talking about what Prabhupada taught, Prabhupada certainly taught, and Shastra certainly teaches, and Rupa Goswami certainly teaches that these are details. 
and Prabhupada would adjust details if it was necessary for our preaching. So that's the real Prabhupada, the Prabhupada who adjusts details when it is necessary to do so to achieve our ultimate goals in terms of preaching. So in this golden age, because of Lord Chaitanya, do you see a bright future in the age of Kali Yuga? Um, I try not to make too many prophecies. I am an optimist. I think I try to be. So um, <clears throat> God only knows. Only Krishna knows exactly what's going to happen. In the future, of course, but Lord Chaitanya does say that Prithivityache Jatanagradi Gram Sarvatra Prachar There will be preaching of my name everywhere, everywhere, all over the earth, in every town and village. So that is very encouraging. We do have that prediction from Lord Chaitanya. Uh, about obeisances, it is said that we should bow down if we see a sannyasi. Oh, it's the same point. Otherwise, it is an offense. If we see a sannyasi that we don't agree with, we have to bow down. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, do we have to bow down to a sannyasi we don't agree with? Uh, I think it's good just to follow the etiquette. If the, if the sannyasi is in good standing, it's not a so-called sannyasi that's not really following our principles, not really living as a sannyasi, but if it's a real sannyasi, even someone who we feel doesn't understand some things, uh, then it's better just to follow the etiquette. Uh, it's like in the military, you know, you, you salute an officer. You may think the officer is a real, is a bad person, but, or obnoxious, but you have to salute the officer. So that's what it means to live in a society. Uh, is it possible that, could it actually literally, could it be that the way in which this is from Spanish, Dropadi expressed herself to Arjun could be because in that precise moment, she, because she was acting as the wife of others of the Pandavas. I don't really see that connection because all of the Pandavas lost a child to Ashwatthama. There were five sons killed. And so uh, I'm not really, I'm not, it's not clear to me how that would make a difference. Uh, she was speaking to Arjun and not the other Pandavas because Arjun had arrested him and was, you know, Arjun dragged him back to the camp. That's why she was speaking to Arjun because Ashwatthama was under Arjun's power. How should we respond when people dismiss Vedic teachings because of such things as Sati, which was even committed by Krishna and Balaram's wives? Um, if it's a fact that the wife does not suffer, but actually goes into the fire and just to a higher world. If that's true, then I'm not sure what the criticism would be. If some, if a woman is forced to do that, and that became the custom in India, which is evil, 
I mean, to force a frightened woman to walk into a fire, I mean, that's, that's horrific. That's horrible. It's like the witch burnings in, in Europe. I mean, it's just, that's horrible. It's evil. So if people dismiss it because they think it's not possible that a woman can pass through a fire into a higher planet, that's, well, they think it's impossible. I mean, they don't really know, do they? They, it's just their personal belief. It's not that they know that's not true. What happens, but what happens if the person has a psychology? It says pathology. I suppose you mean psychology or pathological psychology that doesn't allow the person to rectify themselves. Well, then, then Krishna's statement does not apply. Krishna says, apichet, even if, literally even if, apichet, sudurachara, uh, someone has literally very bad conduct. Su means very, dur means bad, and achara, behavior, conduct. Apichet, even if, apichet sudurachara, but then bhajate mam ananyabhak, but the person worships me purely, Ananyabhak means uh, with no other object in life. We're talking about someone who did something very bad, but then became a very serious devotee. Doesn't just mean they, okay, now they go to the temple on Sunday. They, be they become Bajate Mam Ananyabhak. The person worships me with no other goal in life. Sadureva Samantavya, that person must be considered as a, uh, as a sadhu. And Krishna says sadureva means only as a sadhu. You cannot think of that person in another way, according to Krishna. Now, some people take Krishna's word seriously, and some people don't. So sadureva Samantavya, samyag vyavasito hisa. Because that person is, uh, I think it's translated rightly, situated, literally means uh, is, is rightly or is perfectly determined, resolved. So Krishna twice explains in this verse that it only applies to very, very serious devotees. Krishna emphasized that. First of all, he says, Bajate Mam Ananyavak, someone worships me with no other goal in life. We're talking about something who's a person who's really become an advanced, very serious devotee, very strict devotee. Bajate Mamananyabak, and then Samyag Bhyavasita. The person has perfect is perfectly determined. Their determination is complete. So in, in, in the words uh Mamananyavak and Samyag Bhyavasitohisa. Krishna is making very clear, it's very clear in this verse, very emphatic that this verse applies to people who are advanced devotees who have repented, given up everything and are just now completely devoted to Krishna. That's who the verse is talking about. Uh, so if someone is not a serious devotee, then obviously Krishna is not talking about that person. So, last question. So, bowing down according to the etiquette means that we have to bow down all the way to the floor or just a small bow would do. Um, 
again, this is a detailed devotional service because as you may know, I am the notorious uh, founder of Krishna West. And it's my personal opinion because this is a detail and we are certainly allowed, we are adults, actually, even though we're, even though we're not right Krishna, but we're adults. And um, we can talk about these things. So my view, it's just my view, is that having all the people that belong to a, a religion bowing down the floor to each other is not something that's going to catch on in the West. I do not believe that is ever going to be accepted in the West. And I'm basing that on at least two and a half thousand, two and a half thousand years of recorded history, East and West. So, I mean, we, we must show respect, but I, I think in the future, if there's going to be a widespread Western Hare Krishna movement, I think we're going to have to adjust that. That's my view on a devotional detail. In the meantime, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When in a Hare Krishna temple, do as the Hare Krishnas do. So obviously, you know, if you go to a temple and that's what they do, then you have to follow the custom if you are a member of the devotee community. So what's the difference if someone bows down fully within their mind and heart? Uh, what's the difference? There's very little difference. Not necessarily does full dandavats mean on the physical plane only. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I've had many people, well, I can't say hundreds, but people bow down to me and then, you know, insult or offend me in every way they can think of. So yes, even if, let's say, in certain communities or in certain situations, we don't fully bow down, then certainly in our heart, we should be offering all respect. Oh, uh, that's today's Father's Day. So I guess I'm a spiritual father. I once wrote a, I once wrote a letter to Prabhupada asking him if I could see him as my spiritual father. And he said, yes, that's, that's the culture. So um, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there in the uh, wide world of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So thank you all very much for participating. And uh, I'm very happy that I'm able to do the service. And I hope that uh, next Sunday we'll see you all again. I'd like to thank Ananda Leela who actually is a ventriloquist and spoke, no, I'm just kidding, uh, who uh, does all the technical stuff. Otherwise, so <laughs> thank you all very much. And hopefully we'll all be together again next week. Tell your friends. All right, Krishna.